Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. My grandfather used to say I should be a jockey since I am small. This is one of many comments that used to send me moping into the bushes behind the house. This program features the work of 2013 writer Chelsea Werner Jatsky. She spoke with curator Stephanie Kalis about her work. I want to go first and talk about the project that you proposed for Jack Straw and this intersection between song and writing and using song source. Um, so, you know, I'm using this Pixie song as source material and. Um, and it's just sort of something that got stuck in my head. And I just started thinking about how works derive from other works. And I thought it would be a lot of fun to look at how song structures can translate into narrative structures. I just jotted down on a piece of paper the first line of this song. That first line is, this is a song about a superhero named Tony. It's called Tony's Theme. And I was like, I could write a story about a, a superhero named Tony. Um, and I started working on that by breaking down each um, lyric into syllables, but then thinking that really the syllables of a song are the beats, the measures, like 4-4 four, four time or 3-4 time and not the lyrics. So I just started looking at how these things intersect. And um, when we make art from other art, it, it becomes its own beast and it becomes something that is then ours. And I just find it fun to play with how we reappropriate our influences. Now we'll hear a selection from Chelsea's live reading. The story I'm reading is from the anthology and it grew out of having a Pixies song stuck in my head. <laughs> Do you know this? They're rock band from the 90s. Uh, and I started inventing the words because I realized I actually didn't know them. So that's where this piece came from. This is a story about a superhero named Tony. It's called Tony's Theme. Tony, unremarkable besides his weight, he is quite slender, sits on the front stoop, undecided as to whether he is upset with his father for going to work on the weekend, on his birthday, saying only, ride safe, Junior, before backing out of the driveway. Or if he is psyched because his father gave him his old fixed gear bicycle for his birthday and winked before saying, ride safe, Junior, as he backed out of the driveway. <laughs> Unbeknownst to our hero, his decision is burdened with a momentous fate. Tony lands on thankful, the choice alternative to being a brat. <laughs> brat being the vocabulary of his parents, but something Tony understands as his tendency for dealing with disappointment by sulking in the bushes behind the house. Slim, slight Tony can conceal himself completely in the shrubbery that hedges his family home, though there is not much of a yard and the hydrangeas are unhealthy. <laughs> no, our hero does not pout in the bushes. Tony mounts his bicycle and decides to take it once around the block while his mother makes his birthday breakfast. He is just out of the driveway as his mother walks to the kitchen window. She has a clear view of Tony on his father's old bike, a bike with no brakes. He darts off before she can say, not without a helmet. Tony's mother watches him turn out of the driveway, trying to catch his left foot in the toe strap. 
She is a woman who chooses her words carefully and death straps were her specific words when her husband mentioned giving the bike to Tony. <laughs> that these straps, in fact, help him stop since the thing has no brakes <laughs> does not make her any more comfortable with her son speeding away from her barefoot and head. <laughs> the phone is ringing, but there is no urgency like the urgency of her son's age and speed and distance. Skinny, small Tony hardly weighs a thing, maybe just double the bicycle, and the lack of friction is absurd. His knees are nonstop, and the card his father put in the spokes, a track bike card with a birthday cake on it, is moving so fast it's a blur of flame and frosting. This circle around the block comes with the kind of meaning that grabs the gut for emphasis, one part innocent, two parts imperative, our hero, a teenager. Back in the driveway, balancing on his pedals, the top bar tucked between his kneecaps, the phone is ringing. His mother answers. He dismounts to see about the phone, likely for him, for his birthday. Inside, his mother speaks into the receiver and asks, Tony? And yells, Tony? And yells, Tony, again. Tony, Tony, Tony. She is wearing her serious face, the one she points at when Tony is not taking her seriously to let him know she means business. But she does not point at her serious face. She just wears it as she says, Tony, Tony, Tony. All her careful words are missing, and she is biting the name in two since it is all she can say, but she needs to say so much more. She needs to turn to her son and call him Mophead, the way she does when she tries to coax him out from under the late blooming bushes. Mophead is her way of telling her son she accepts his bratty behavior because he is still a kid. Mophead would let him know she is not yelling his name in anger, that she is not yelling his name at all, that he is and always will be her Mophead. The sound of Tony shouted so stokes the temptation to sneak off under the hydrangea bushes and hole up until Tony's mother comes to the backyard and yells for her mop head, as if she doesn't know exactly where he is hiding, where he always hides. But Tony is over the bushes, no more mop head for our unfortunate hero. Instead, he goes to the kitchen where his mother drops the phone on the counter, all limp fingers and rigid arm. She is facing the window, her hands still cocked up by her cheek where the phone was cradled, and he picks up the receiver. Who's there? He's feeling very big about himself, though he is, let's be honest, scrawny. Who's this? I asked you first. Tony? The voice is familiar. This is Officer Black. Is that you, Tony? This is my story about becoming a superhero named Tony. I call it Tony's Theme. My grandfather used to say I should be a jockey since I am small. This is one of many comments that used to send me moping into the bushes behind the house. But no longer. Today, I am 13 and I have a sweet ass bicycle. <laughs> In the game of superpowers, it generally comes down to invisibility or flying. But on my bike, I am beyond these common powers. My tires barely touch the ground as I blast through the space-time continuum on my fixie. <laughs> I defy earthly laws of friction, encountering such little resistance that I am invisible to puny human perception as I shoot past the modular homes, the SUVs and sports cars, the jocks and the stoners, all static in this totally lame suburb. 
<laughs> I dart past trees lining my street, and they are nothing but blurry green. A car heading toward the ever-present drone of the freeway in the distance is stuck, frozen in the time warp of my superior speed. <coughs> Moving as fast as I am, the endless traffic is silenced. The speed of sound is so much slower than me on my bike. I execute a spitfire turn into the driveway, satisfied that my dad is, in fact, the coolest, despite his tendency toward workaholism. <coughs> my mom is standing at the kitchen window. I'm not wearing a helmet or shoes, and I'm most likely going to get it. <laughs> the residue of speed slips off me as I skid into a track stand. Time inches forward, and my mother's voice breaks through the vacuum, still shrouding me from my tear through time and blacktop. Tony? She speaks into the telephone. And before I can answer, says louder, Tony? And then yells, Tony! I think of the bushes behind the house, my poor excuse for invisibility before I had a real superpower. But instead of the bushes, I burst into the kitchen and preempt my mother's scolding, saying, I'm okay. Tony! 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 She barks my name so it sounds like toe and knee, and I think maybe she bumped into something. She does not turn and call me Mophead for riding the bike sans helmet. She doesn't turn at all. So I take up the phone from where it toppled to the counter. Who's there, I demand. Tony, it's Officer Black. We've got a situation only you can fix. Get it? Fix? He chuckles. Sorry, bad joke. Your father told me he was giving you the bike when you were big enough, and well, it took longer than expected. You are pretty small for your age. That's enough, I interrupt. And Officer Black shuts the heck up. My power, a power I barely understand and just discovered, is public knowledge? I look at my mother, who only now turns to look at me and shake her head. Her eyes are all dewy with a sentiment, something along the lines of, you're much too young for this, or I tried to talk to your father out of giving you that bike, but he insisted it was your destiny, and while I believe it is true, because you are exceptional, I still think of you as my little mop head. My father must have sensed my latent proclivity to wield the formidable power that his old fixie would unleash. He did wink, I remember, as he pulled out of the driveway. Right, Officer Black continues. Businesses, your little stunt earlier, that's circling the block? Well, the time stoppage it created prevented a truck from flattening your family's Subaru. The good news is, your dad is okay. My dad? We weren't sure you could control the mind-bending intensity of such a powerful ride. So your dad volunteered to put himself in the way of the truck. That's your dad, always making the sacrifice. It's something he learned when he was small and used to ride that bike, Tony. You see, with great power comes great risk. Responsibility, I correct him. No, no, this is the real world, Tony, and you're going to have to take some risks if you accept your new role as a superhero henceforth. The first, believe me that your father went to stop that truck just in case you didn't ride the bike and unlock the power therein. There was always the chance that you would go hide in the bushes instead, you were saying. The second, believe that there is a barrier where invisibility and flying are nothing more than byproducts of speed, natural law-defying speed, otherworldly speed, time-warping, force-fielding, sick-to-your-stomach-in-awe kind of speed. Only you can stop the 18-wheeler that is barreling through your neighborhood, some fat, drunk slob at the helm. 
But Officer Black, how can this? And what can I? My mother is still shaking her head as if I'm asking all the wrong questions. You're asking all the wrong questions, says Officer Black. There will be time to explain the laws of relativity broken by the singularly awesome velocity of your sweet-ass bicycle later. For now, ride, Tony, ride. Dear Mr. Santiago, thank you for your condolences and your concern. However, I have to say, screw you, Mr. Santiago. And believe you me, I deliberated for some time before landing on this particular insult in response to your letter. As you can tell from Tony's theme, the story you confiscated, Tony is struggling with my reaction to the news of his father's death. This has sparked the belief that Tony can stop time by riding his bike. I'm sure this struggle is due in no small part to the fact that he and Anthony share the same name. To take a line from my son, what your puny human perception clearly didn't pick up on in the story, one of many installments Tony has written on the discovery of his superpower, is that Tony's only real way of stopping time is through writing this story over and over in an attempt to create meaning behind the meaningless hit and run that killed his father. This is how he's processing trauma. I understand that he was writing this story during your history exam. I also understand that he wears his helmet during class in obvious defiance of the school-wide no-hats rule. <laughs> but no, Mr. Santiago, I am not worried about the history test nor am I worried about the kids calling my son another word for a feline because he wears his helmet 24 hours a day. Contrary to worry, my son's coping mechanism of developing a superpower he uses to save lives, rather than reverting to spending hours in our pitiful hydrangea bushes, is an encouraging sign. In fact, nothing is more encouraging to me than my boy Tony. Like any parent, I want my child to be happy, impossibly happy. Being called a pejorative term for cowardly about his helmet by the other kids in school, that's normal stuff. The death of a father, not so much. One day, Tony will come up against the limits of his power, but until then, he will use loose leaf to save our tragic little town birthday after birthday. Ultimately, we create our own histories, Mr. Santiago. So you can take your history test and shove it up your vulgar slang for female genitalia. <laughs> Me, my son is and always will be my hero. I'm here to make sure he knows how much meaning there is in the world and to cheer him on as he makes his way through it. Tony, Tony, Tony. <laughs> Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production. The 2013 curator of this program is Stephanie Kalis. This episode of Sound Pages was produced by Jenny Cecil Moore. Recording engineers are C.J. Lazenby, Tom Stiles, Mo Preventure, and Steve DeTori. Narrator is Christine Brown. And executive director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by the Seattle Jazz Composers Ensemble, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, 
the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.